Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kate Norris. And I'm Thomas Craft. Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence. Welcome to episode 34 of the Presentation Boss Podcast. And today we're doing the last speech breakdown for 2019. In these episodes, we have a look at a presentation from somewhere on the internet, often a TED-style talk, and we play it for you so that you get to hear it, but then we'll also pause at any noteworthy times and talk about things that the presenter is doing particularly well, or anything that the presenter is doing that we can maybe learn from. One of the best ways to be a better speaker is to watch plenty of other speakers and think critically about what works, what doesn't, and apply a lot of those skills yourself. So today we're listening to a talk from Simon Sinek. He's often listed as one of the best speakers in the world, and he has one of the top 10 most watched TED Talks of all time. Today we're going to listen to Simon Sinek's Why Good Leaders Make You Feel Safe from TED in 2014. There's a man by the name of Captain William Swenson who recently was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his actions on September 8, 2009. On that day, a column of American and Afghan troops were making their way through a part of Afghanistan to help protect a group of government officials, a group of Afghan government officials who'd be meeting with some local village elders. The column came under ambush and was surrounded on three sides. And amongst many other things, Captain Swenson was recognized for running into live fire to rescue the wounded and pull out the dead. One of the people he rescued was a sergeant, and he and a comrade were making their way to a medevac helicopter. And what was remarkable about this day is by sheer coincidence, One of the medevac medics happened to have a GoPro camera on his helmet and captured the whole scene on camera. It shows Captain Swenson and his comrade bringing this wounded soldier who'd received a gunshot to the neck. They put him in the helicopter, and then you see Captain Swenson bend over and give him a kiss before he turns around to rescue more. I saw this, and I thought to myself, where do people like that come from? What is that? That is some deep, deep emotion when you would want to do that. There's a a love there. And I want to know, why is it that I don't have people that I work with like that? So there's a couple of things that have worked really well in this opening. The first and most noteworthy is he launched straight into a story. Um, So there was no introduction, he didn't introduce himself at all, Uh, it was just straight into this story. And, you know, we look at TED and its ideas worth sharing, and starting your presentation with that idea before introducing even yourself can be quite powerful. Make the audience lean in, and especially using a story to do that. He tells that story particularly well, I think. He, uh, there's a couple of things there, he's stripped out a lot of unnecessary detail. We only hear what happens in that story as it pertains to the purpose that he's trying to get that story to serve. It's got a time, it's got a place, it's got one person that's named, so we know that this story is about that Captain Swenson. And he speaks really slowly. 
I reckon if you were trying to copy Simon Sinek on stage, it would feel unnaturally slow. Yeah, that's actually what I picked up was um, he speaks slowly and this most likely is scripted because anything Ted is scripted really carefully. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like he'd forgotten bits or was really thinking about the next line that was coming. And there were no ums and ahs. And it's probably something worth listening to for the rest of the talk because it'll most likely continue. He pauses. He never says um or ah. And if you're really listening to it, it's almost uncomfortable, but it's also really neat. Neat. That's a good word for Mm. it. I mean, we're certainly seeing why Simon Sinek is listed as one of the great speakers Mm. in the world and has some of the most watched TED Talks. And I want to know, why is it that I don't have people that I work with like that? You know, in the military, they give medals to people who are willing to sacrifice themselves so that others may gain. In business, we give bonuses to people who are willing to sacrifice others so that we may gain. Okay, this is the second time I've watched this talk. And the first time I was not focusing on the visual at all. And I missed this the first time. And I think if you're trying to listen to this, I mean, obviously on a podcast now, but if you've got this happening, you're not fully focused visually, you've missed a really critical point there. Because what he just said was, we have it backwards, right? But when you're watching him, he actually mouths that. You can't actually hear him say it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really key part to his message. Through the magic of editing, I'm going to play it again, but boost it so you can hear it. And I want to know, why is it that I don't have people that I work with like that? You know, in the military, they give medals to people who are willing to sacrifice themselves so that others may gain. In business, we give bonuses to people who are willing to sacrifice others so that we may gain. Yep. Right? Really clever technique here is contrast. So we talked about this bravery, this emotion, this love that happened in this military situation, which is then contrasted with the awfulness of business. So, you know, sacrificing others so that they may gain. Huge contrast there, setting up this bit of a theme, which feels like it's going to be moving business from this place of sacrifice to that initial story of great love and and camaraderie. And emotion and empathy there, yeah. Right? So I asked myself, where do people like this come from? And my initial conclusion was that they're just better people. That's why they're attracted to the military. These better people are attracted to this concept of service. But that's completely wrong. What I learned is that it's the environment. And if you get the environment right, every single one of us has the capacity to do these remarkable things. And more importantly, others have that capacity too. I've had the great honor of getting to meet some of these who we would call heroes. There's a trick in psychology when it comes to teaching that if you just tell people something, there is a very good chance that they won't particularly remember it. You actually have to meet your audience at their place of understanding and what they currently know, think and do, debunk it and then replace it with the good information. So there he said, I used to think that good people were attracted to the military and that's why the military's good. Because chances are that's a fairly common understanding. Exactly. And then replacing it with what I've actually found out is the military creates this environment. So you're kind of overcoming those objections up front. Yes. So he's told us what's wrong and kind of removed that from our minds. And now he's going to come and tell us what the actual correct answer is, is what it feels like. Yeah. 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 Just another example of why... Simon Sinek's TED Talks are so effective. I've had the great honor of getting to meet some of these who we would call heroes. 
who've put themselves and put their lives at risk to save others. And I asked them, why would you do it? Why did you do it? And they all say the same thing, because they would have done it for me. It's this deep sense of trust and cooperation. So trust and cooperation are really important here. The problem with concepts of trust and cooperation is that they are feelings, they're not instructions. I can't simply say to you, trust me, and you will. I can't simply instruct two people to cooperate, and they will. It's not how it works, it's a feeling. So where does that feeling come from? If you go back 50,000 years to the Paleolithic era, to the early days of Homo sapien, what we find is that the world was filled with danger. Oh yes, he's doing the Simon Sinek thing. I'm trying to think of a TED talk where Simon Sinek does not have a flip chart and a marker and just goes over and draws a visual, a really simple visual. Yes, it's very much his thing. His most famous talk, that one which is in the top 10 most watched TED talks of the power of why, and it starts with just the, there's a couple of concentric circles with why in the middle. He's known for his really simple, powerful visuals. Yeah, and that's it. It's, it's simple. That's the thing that you remember from the presentation is the three concentric circles. And so he's very known for his flip charts and he's about to draw something. So for the last couple of sentences, he's picked up a marker and he started to walk over to his flip chart yeah. and picking it up that couple of sentences early. Like, I want to watch more. This has got me so hooked. It builds excitement because it's like, oh, he's going to draw something. This is going to be a powerful point that he's going to illustrate. It actually builds excitement. Yeah. And because his thing is the, the flip chart, it's yes, it's his thing, but it's also unique. It's also different. I don't really know a lot of people that speak with a flip chart basically at all. Mm. Draw for me, Simon. <laughs> uh, creepy. Let's continue. What we find is that the world was filled with danger. All of these forces working very, very hard to kill us. Nothing personal. Whether it was the weather, lack of resources, maybe a saber-toothed tiger, all of these things working to reduce our lifespan. And so we evolved into social animals. All right, we're going to have to explain some visuals here. All he's done is written the word danger in each of the four corners of the page. That's all. It's actually worth noting. Like, he's obviously... Because it's a marker and a flip chart, it's not particularly neat. It's not particularly symmetrical. It just is. It serves the purpose. It's a bit real. It is. And so we evolved into social animals, where we live together and work together in what I call a circle of safety, inside the tribe, where we felt like we belong. And when we felt safe amongst our own, the natural reaction was trust and cooperation. There it is. There's the end of the visual. In the middle, he drew a circle, and then in the circle wrote safe. So inside the circle, safe, outside the circle, danger. And then he put the pen down, and he's walked back to center stage. That's the end of this visual. He's explained it, drawn it, and I, I assume will refer back to it, because it now exists in the world. But he's put the pen down, so he's not going to fiddle with it, and it really demarcates the end of visual drawing time. Mm. We're back to, look at me, listen to me, I'm the presentation. The natural reaction was trust and cooperation. There are inherent benefits to this. It means I can fall asleep at night and trust that someone from within my tribe will watch for danger. If we don't trust each other, if I don't trust you, that means you won't watch for danger. Bad system of survival. The modern day is exactly the same thing. The world is filled with danger, things that are trying to frustrate our lives or reduce our success, reduce our opportunity for success. It could be the ups and downs of an economy, the uncertainty of the stock market, it could be a new technology that renders your business model obsolete overnight. 
Or it could be your competition that is sometimes trying to kill you. It's sometimes trying to put you out of business, but at the very minimum, is working hard to frustrate your growth and steal your business from you. We have no control over these forces. These are a constant, and they're not going away. What a brilliant way of bringing in supporting material. If you think about the message of this presentation, he's talking about uh, having that care in business, I think, is the direction this talk is heading. If you think of that as like the trunk of a tree, so it goes straight up, and that's what we want to follow. If he talks about just that, it's not a particularly interesting talk. And instead, he's taken this quick side branch to the Paleolithic era out here where we had saber-toothed tigers and the weather trying to kill us. And it's sort of... Detour is not quite the right word, but we went out on this supporting material, on this extra little idea. And I think in the hands of a lesser speaker, it'd be easy to get lost out there. But instead, he really quickly comes off that branch and pulls straight back to the trunk, that central message, and relates those dangers that are trying to kill us in business. He's making, I think what it is, is yes, all of that. Um, <laughs> but also he's making the intangible, the things that can sometimes feel a little bit wishy-washy, you know, other businesses trying to put us out of business. He's relating that straight back to, uh, he said, a saber-toothed tiger that's like trying to eat us. He's making it feel very real. Hmm. Well, he certainly prefaced that by saying trust and cooperation weren't instructions, they were feelings. Yeah. Which is where the, like, yeah, you can sleep at night because someone's watching out for you is a very tangible thing. It's more tangible than business theory. These are a constant and they're not going away. The only variable are the conditions inside the organization. And that's where leadership matters, because it's the leader that sets the tone. When a leader makes the choice to put the safety and lives of the people inside the organization first, to sacrifice their comforts and sacrifice the tangible results so that the people remain and feel safe and feel like they belong, remarkable things happen. I was flying on a trip. Did you pick up that persuasive speaking technique he used there? So he talked about how all of the dangers, everything outside uh, the circle are a constant. You can't change them. The only thing you can change is inside the circle, inside your business. And if you get that right, then remarkable things will happen. And I'm sure the audience, they're like, oh, yes, yes. Tell me how to make remarkable things happen in my business. And then he switched the topic to flying on a trip. So he's really extending out that interest in the audience. He's, he's giving us almost a cliffhanger. And then moving on, we continue wanting to listen because he's setting up these big questions so that we wait for the answer. Mm. Something that I didn't love just then, he said, remarkable things happen. I was flying on a trip. I would have liked a much bigger pause there. Considering the pace of his talk, it needed a bigger pause. For someone who speaks really quickly, that was a plenty enough pause. <laughs> yep. But relative to the speed of him, it needed just a few more seconds to really delineate because now it all sounds like part of the one paragraph because of his rate of speaking. Yeah, right. That makes sense. I was flying on a trip and I was witness to an incident where a passenger attempted to board before their number was called. And I watched the gate agent treat this man like he had broken the law, like a criminal. He was yelled at for attempting to board one group too soon. So I said something. I said, why, why do you have to treat us like cattle? Why can't you treat us like human beings? And this is exactly what she said to me. 
Here is the benefit of simplicity in storytelling. He didn't tell us which airport, which airline, what the terminal looked like, anything that he was at, how many people were there. All we know is there was a person and a gay agent and Simon Sinek was there. But I guarantee in your mind, you have placed this scene within a terminal that you're maybe familiar with or have seen in a movie or something. Simplicity in storytelling, that is a vivid image that you have created in your mind because he used minimal words. And also, he's made it a moment in time. He said, this happened at this time and I watched this happen. It wasn't just this generic, oh, you know when you're trying to board on a plane and there's always someone who tries to board all early? Because there is always that person. But he hasn't tried to make it generic. He's made it a moment in time. It actually makes it so much more relatable. And powerful, yeah. And it's told in the first person. He's not trying to make me break out of the speech and multitask by trying to think about like, oh, have I ever seen that? What about that time I flew to? No. And, and, and getting lost. It's, I'm just listening to him tell me about when it definitely did happen. Yep. And this is exactly what she said to me. She said, sir, if I don't follow the rules, I could get in trouble or lose my job. All she was telling me is that she doesn't feel safe. All she was telling me is that she doesn't trust her leaders. The reason we like flying Southwest Airlines is not because they necessarily hire better people, it's because they don't fear their leaders. A slight trap here is using Southwest Airlines, uh, which is a North American airline. I assume, yes, but I don't actually know because I'm not an American. Mm. When we're talking in a setting like this, and it's a generic topic, he's talking about why do leaders make you feel safe? Well, there's leaders everywhere. Like, this is a, a talk for a generic audience. If you think of this talk as like an umbrella, you want to enable as many people as possible to fit under your umbrella. And so when you have something that like kind of excludes by using a reference such as, you know, geographically specific airline, uh, other ones can be like obscure pop culture references, Mm -hmm. things like that. You're kind of snipping bits out of your umbrella, uh, which means you're not getting as many people in there to understand and to receive your message. So that's something to be aware of about your audience is if not all of them are going to understand this reference, find something that's more understandable to let more people in. I think he doesn't have to avoid using Southwest Airlines particularly, but what it needed was just to fix that little reference by popping in some context, something as simple as Southwest Airlines is known for its great customer service. That's why we always fly Southwest Airlines. I could just add that little bit of context for anyone that doesn't know that Southwest Airline is known for its great customer service. It's because they don't fear their leaders. You see, if the conditions are wrong, we are forced to expend our own time and energy to protect ourselves from each other. And that inherently weakens the organization. When we feel safe inside the organization, we will naturally combine our talents and our strengths and work tirelessly to face the dangers outside and seize the opportunities. The closest analogy I can give to what a great leader is, is like being a parent. If you think about what being a great parent is, what do you want? What makes a great parent? We want to give our child opportunities, education, discipline them when necessary, all so that they can grow up and achieve more than we could for ourselves. Great leaders want exactly the same thing. They want to provide their people opportunity, education, discipline when necessary, build their self-confidence, give them the opportunity to try and fail, all so that they could achieve more than we could ever imagine for ourselves. I think his pacing there is powerful. We've talked about how he 
we've talked about how his default for this talk is very slow, but in there he got quicker and quicker and quicker as the details and these important things are stacking up. And then the important message that fell at the back of it was delivered really slowly and definitely, giving us time to think. Mm, That pacing enabled the contrast to really make that message stand out. We could ever imagine for ourselves. Charlie Kim, who's the CEO of a company called Next Jump in New York City, a tech company, he makes the point that if you had hard times in your family, would you ever consider laying off one of your children? We would never do it. Then why do we consider laying off people inside our organization? can often be important, especially with these intangible sort of ideas, to give people an anchor, something that they know that they can relate these ideas to. And he's used a fair bit here, the idea of family, about being a parent, and then this idea about the layoffs. He's linking employees with children. Everybody has a family, so therefore it's going to make sense to everybody. It's a really clever anchor. And then that's a really powerful statement there about would you ever consider laying off your children? That's got a universal answer. I hope. I hope that's a universal answer of like, gosh, no, I would never do that. Mm. So you've now got the whole audience in the same mindset moving into the next section of the presentation. Then why do we consider laying off people inside our organization? Charlie implemented a policy of lifetime employment. If you get a job at Next Jump, you cannot get fired for performance issues. In fact, if you have issues, they will coach you and they will give you support, just like we would with one of our children who happens to come home with a C from school. It's the complete opposite. This is the reason so many people have such a visceral hatred, sort of anger at some of these banking CEOs with their disproportionate salaries and bonus structures. It's not the numbers. It's that they have violated the very definition of leadership. They have violated this deep-seated social contract. We know that they allowed their people to be sacrificed so they could protect their own interests. Or worse, they sacrificed their people to protect their own interests. This is what so offends us, not the numbers. Would anybody be offended if we gave a $150 million bonus to Gandhi? How about a $250 million bonus to Mother Teresa? Do we have an issue with that? None at all. None at all. This is a really tough one. This is. Because Mm. there is a lot of controversy around... I actually have no idea about Gandhi, but certainly around Mother Teresa, that she was not a good woman. There are a lot of people who believe she was an exceptionally evil woman, and there's a lot of people who believe that she was an exceptionally good woman. And you can really polarise your audience by assuming everybody holds the same people in the same regard. I personally am in the camp that Mother Teresa was not a good person. Would I complain if she was given a $250 million bonus? Absolutely, I would. So for me, this is a really poor example. And I don't know of anybody who is universally seen as an idol and a great person and worthy of a multi-million dollar bonus. And so that's the the risk that I see here. As soon as we put a name to that, you're going to have people who say yes and you're going to have people who say no. Mm. I've thought about, I've tried to think about who, who you could name who would universally be given a yes to that vote. And I can't think of any. Immediately, you've locked out any sort of religious leader because you've got opposing religion. Yep. Political leaders. Again, you've got opposing political parties, so you've immediately locked out political leaders. Humanitarian leaders. You're going to just have people who disagree. Yeah. So it's difficult to use specific examples in this case. What would you do as an alternative? Yeah. This is something I've been thinking about. What should he do? And is there's the option to skip it? 
uh, skip the sort of whole example thing altogether, or you're going to have to name people and accept that not everybody will agree with you, unfortunately, regardless of who you pick, or it needs to become something quite generic. Who would disagree to giving a multi-million dollar bonus to somebody who's done huge amounts of good worldwide, and then it sort of loses its effect doing it that way? Honestly, I think the skipping is the best option. I think I tend to agree. None at all. None at all. Great leaders would never sacrifice the people to save the numbers. They would sooner sacrifice the numbers to save the people. Bob Chapman, who runs a large manufacturing company in the Midwest called Barry Waymiller, in 2008, was hit very hard by the recession, and they lost 30% of their orders overnight. Now, in a large manufacturing company, this is a, this is a big deal, and they could no longer afford their la- their labor pool. They needed to save $10 million. So, like so many companies today, the board got together and discussed layoffs. And Bob refused. You see, Bob doesn't believe in head counts. Bob believes in heart counts, and it's much more difficult to simply reduce the heart count. And so they came up with a furlough program. Every employee, from secretary to CEO, was required to take four weeks of unpaid vacation. They could take it any time they wanted, and they did not have to take it consecutively. But it was how Bob announced the program that mattered so much. He said, "It's better that we should all suffer a little than any of us should have to suffer a lot." And morale went up. They saved $20 million. And most importantly, as would be expected, when the people feel safe and protected by the leadership in the organization, the natural reaction is to trust and cooperate. And quite spontaneously, nobody expected, people started trading with each other. Those who could afford it more would trade with those who could afford it less. People would take five weeks, so that somebody else only had to take three. Leadership is a choice; it is not a rank. I know many people at the senior-most levels of organizations who are absolutely not leaders. They are authorities, and we do what they say because they have authority over us. But we would not follow them. And I know many people. Who are at the bottoms of organizations who have no authority, and they are absolutely leaders, and this is because they have chosen to look after the person to the left of them, and they have chosen to look after the person to the right of them. This is what a leader is. I heard a story of some Marines who were out in theater, and as is the Marine custom, the officer ate last, and he let his men. Eat first, and when they were done, there was no food left for him. And when they went back out in the field, his men brought him some of their food, so that he may eat. Because that's what happens. We call them leaders because they go first. Am I the only one that feels like that story doesn't fit? Yeah, I don't love that story. I don't know why. I think because it's. Partially the word choice and partially the lack of specificity. It was just some marines somewhere at some meal. We don't know, and then there was like the words like brought him some food so that he too may eat, which feels a little bit like、uh, like it feels a, like scripture. Scripture, it, yeah, it, it does feel a little bit like scripturey. You lose the moment in time and the specificity because every other story has had Bob Wayne Chapman was the CEO of the company. Yeah. The very first story you had Captain Swenson on eighth of September two thousand and nine, so specific. And then this story was 
at some time there was submarines. Yeah, like yeah. You, like you said. Yeah, it doesn't fit. It, it feels weird. I don't know that that story was needed. It doesn't add. I don't think it takes away particularly, but it certainly doesn't add. We call them leaders because they go first. We call them leaders because they take the risk before anybody else does. We call them leaders because they will choose to sacrifice so that their people may be safe and protected and so his, their people may gain. And when we do, the natural response is that our people will sacrifice for us. They will give us their blood and sweat and tears to see that their leader's vision comes to life. And when we ask them, why would you do that? Why would you give your blood and sweat and tears for that person? They all say the same thing. Because they would have done it for me. And isn't that the organization we would all like to work in? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Simon Sinek, Why Good Leaders Make You Feel Safe at TED 2014. What did you think, Kate? I loved it. I mean, Simon Sinek, he really is one of the greats. Couple of points that I didn't love, but overall, he he's great, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, those couple of points are really just about like polishing and tightening up. It's nothing, nothing destructive to a talk at all. Like, I can totally see why many people look to him for how to give a great presentation. I think basically the night, most of his talk, he sets us up with this really high standard and then he like falls to a 90% standard and we jump on him. Like that's all it is. <laughs> you know what makes Simon Sinek such a great speaker is when he's on stage, he gives. Whenever we're giving a talk, we need to bring, need to justify the act of speaking and bring value to the time that the audience has given us. And communicating a message is a big way of doing that. Often we see speakers take the stage with the mindset of, excellent, I get to talk and I get to... This is my time to shine. <laughs> it's absolutely that. And what we see with Simon Sinek is he has such an audience focus. He has started this talk, like the preparation of this talk, by thinking, I have 14 minutes to speak to the people in this room and people you know, on the internet as well. What is that one message? What is that value that I am going to bring to them? And I think he achieves that beautifully with a, a simple message, which I think we'll get to. Most importantly, you can get to the end of that talk. If you've never heard the, the words Simon and Sinek before, you could realistically ask the question, who is he? Not once in that talk does he talk about himself. This is so far from self-promotion, it's, it's unbelievable. This talk is really this anthology of stories that he's grabbed from other places that demonstrate and support the message that he's trying to communicate around why leaders make us feel safe, that trust and cooperation. This truly is, as far as Ted goes with their ideas worth sharing, I think this is a great idea worth sharing. Like I could, I could, like obviously there's a lot of content here that we can agree with and love, but it is clearly a great idea worth sharing and shared simply. All right, standard two questions. What is the message that we got out of it and what did we see? Let's start with message. The message I thought was quite clear. In the business sense, it was if you make your employees feel safe, remarkable things will happen. Yep, totally agree. If you make people feel safe, they will perform. All right, so what did we see in that presentation? Exceptional control mm. of everything 
of voice, of body, of pacing, of visuals, of presence. Like he was there. He was so focused on that talk. He wasn't there to be flashy. He was just there to to share. share. And I think the simplicity and the control stood out for me. Yeah, that was really it. That flip chart got used once to make that one core visual model. And that was it. And it would have been so easy to do that on PowerPoint or some sort of other visual aid. Or not use the visual at all. Yeah, but it was really, I think the tactileness of the flip chart works. I mean, yes, because it's a Simon thing. That's kind of his signature thing, (laughs) the flip chart. But also it does just work because it's tactile. It's not just another screen. It's It's not the same thing we see all the time. Yeah, and it's it makes it so much easier for him to interact with it because it's on the stage with him. It's off to one side. He can walk over to it when he wants to talk about it. He can walk away from it when he wants us to look at him. It's not on a slide behind him or above him. He has so much more control over it mm. uh, in the way that he uses it. So there's a link to this Simon Sinek TED Talk down in the show notes if you want to go and watch it all the way through without us interrupting and see how he uses that flip chart. Otherwise, I think we've waxed lyrical enough about how great Simon Sinek is, so let's wind it up there for this week. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. If you have a speech you'd like us to listen to and break down on the show, flick us the link at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts or take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information of this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week. Where are you going? I need water. Dude, we're in the middle of recording.